This is Combo Shenanigans, episode 128, Flashback, Spider-Man Spider-Hunt and Spider-Man Identity Crisis. Welcome to Combo Shenanigans, this is episode 128, it's our flashback, Spider-Man Spider-Hunt and Spider-Man Identity Crisis episode. Uh, so I haven't done a flashback episode yet, uh, basically what I'm going to be doing is it's going to be a bit of a differentiation from my usual uh, comic talk episodes or uh, spotlight episodes, but instead flashback is going to be more about um, taking a dedicated look back at a, a storyline from, you know, it could be recent history, uh, it could be from a long time ago, something that might uh, have special significance to me as a reader, uh, etc. And uh, so this is our kind of our first shot at doing a flashback. Um, so basically where I came up with the idea for doing it I was like, well, you know, I, I've been talking about doing that kind of spotlight for a while, but I wasn't sure what to talk about for the first episode I've done this for. And um, I happened to be in my basement uh, last night, so this has been on the 20th of uh, December, and I was just kind of looking at my, at my bookshelf, this you know, big bookshelf of all these different trades and hardcovers, etc., and I was like, well, what, what what's something that I really enjoy and maybe some more people that need to know about? And I realized that uh, I had a perfect idea for something I'd like to talk about. Um, and this is actually prompted from a discussion I was having or I was part of on uh, marvelmasterworks.com, which is one of my favorite uh, places to go online. It's a place where a lot of people who have a lot of interest in trade paperbacks and other collected editions usually talk about things. And this one person was asking about, uh, there's a, a trade that came out this week, which is uh, called Gathering of Five. Uh, it's a Spider-Man storyline from, I believe, 1998. Um, they kind of brought to a close the post-Clone Saga pre uh, new chapter era that was by Byrne and um, and Howard Mackey, and it, it really put a cap on that on that era. But it got this poster to thinking. You know, ha- have we gotten most of the Amazing Spider-Man material uh, that's ever been in the book? And you know, or is there still stuff that hasn't been printed? Now, since the Clone Saga was printed a few years ago, and the complete Clone Saga and complete Ben Riley collections. Uh, most of the Amazing Spider-Man material that exists has been collected in some shape or form. There's still uh, some kind of wide uh, smatherings of, of stuff that hasn't quite been reprinted. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of the um, the David Michelani era. I'm also thinking of the uh, t- Tom DeFalco era, uh, the gang war storyline in the late 200s. Um, I mean, we've had a lot of uh, the other material, but and they're getting a lot better at filling in all the blanks, and with the upcoming Epic collections, we see more and more of uh, The Amazing Spider-Man has been collected. Um, but the question becomes, you know, how much is still out there? And the, this guy was asking, you know, between the Clone Saga and New Chapter, um, is there that much stuff that's been left unprinted? Anyways, this reminded me of uh, some of the stuff I really enjoyed during that period, and I was... And then, with that in mind, I realized, well, why don't I talk about Spider-Hunt and Identity Crisis? As these were uh, Spider-Man storylines that I remember enjoying quite a lot when I was... I mean, I can't remember when these were originally published. I guess 1998. So I would have been 14 years old. Um, I started buying Amazing Spider-Man on a regular basis with episode... Sorry, episode... Issue 418, or actually 419, sorry. Uh, It was right after the Clone Tech had officially ended. I remember... I can't remember why, but I think uh, I was in a hospital at some point, and then when I came home, it was around my birthday, and for my birthday, I remember I got from a friend of mine, Amazing Spider-Man 419. I was, at this point, I had started really getting into the X-Men comics, 
I had started buying them maybe uh, six or seven months earlier, uh, right around the time of Onslaught happening. Um, so I was kind of new into actually buying comics on a regular basis. I had an interest in comics. I had read other people's. A lot of people start when they're much younger, when they're actually reading and, and starting to buy comics. Me, it was much later. I was, you know, 14 years old, um, 13 or 14 years old before I was really getting into it. Uh, actually, you know, I'm off with my chronology. No, I'm right. Sorry. <laughs> I was thinking the wrong things. Um, so my, yes, yeah, I would have been, uh, I was actually wrong with 418, 419. That would have been to 996. So I was wrong. So I would have been about 12, almost 13 years old. And so I was like, well, I, I don't know about Spider-Man. And I had, had an idea of the Clone Saga, but I didn't know much about it. Anyways, when I started reading issue 419, I loved it. I really enjoyed what was going on in the book. I enjoyed uh, the Black Tarantula had just been introduced as like this new big bad. Um, it was it was a lot of fun for me. Again, I was a much younger reader than I am now. And uh, about a year or so into that, or maybe actually a little bit further than that, no, about a year, maybe a year and a three months, uh, we had the Spider Hunt storyline happen. As I said, 1998, I would have been about 14 years old, going on 15. Um, now, the Spider Hunt storyline has been collected into a trade paperback, uh, which I was super pumped about when it, when it came out. Because if I had to rank things that I don't expect to ever be reprinted or that I would be surprised to be reprinted, for a while, Spider Hunt would have been one of them. Identity Crisis would have been another. Uh, the Slingers, uh, ongoing which I hope at some point will get collected, would have been another. Uh, the Green Goblin um, uh, ongoing by Tom DeFalco, which has now been collected. These are things, excuse me, that I'm always surprised when they actually get printed, um, but very happy at the same time when they do. Um, more and more with the X-Men that's been happening. I've talked about it on a recent episode, the uh, skinning of souls trade paperback, collecting a lot of Fabian Nichies' early run on X-Men. That's stuff that I, you know, when you're younger and, and even with so many collective editions now, I mean, they have such large, expensive back catalogs. It's not the most popular stuff, so I'm always surprised when they go back to it. So Spider Hunt was no no exception. I was super pumped when I heard that it was being recollected. Um, now, the issues it collects are Sensational Spider-Man 25 to 26, Amazing Spider-Man 432 to 433, uh, Spider-Man 88 to 90, Spectacular Spider-Man 254 to 256. Uh, it's got a lot of different creative teams, but the ones that are mentioned on the back cover include Todd DeZago, who was writing, I believe, Sensational at the time, Tom DeFalco, who was writing Amazing Spider-Man, which at the time was the only ongoing I was buying until the storyline happened, uh, J.M. DeMatteis and Howard Mackey. Uh, Howard Mackey was obviously writing Spider-Man at the time, and Spectacular was done by J.M. DeMatteis. Coming into this storyline, I was pretty much just reading uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I remember picking up Peter Parker Spider-Man number 88, and to this day, I'm not really sure what prompted me to pick it up. It might have been the cover, because um, I hadn't been buying that book, but yeah, again, I was I was, didn't have a lot of money for a lot of comics. I was, well, I guess times never change, uh, but uh, so Peter Parker Spider-Man issue 88 is what kind of is the precursor to the Spider-Hunt storyline. It's got a very striking cover um, to those who want to look it up on ComicsDB, um, Comics.org. These different places to look up um, the actual covers. Uh, so Peter Parker Spider-Man is where the whole storyline kind of started. And it's a very striking cover by J.R.J.R. Uh, it's mostly white. Uh, you have Spider-Man in the middle. There's snow everywhere. Uh, you see a little bit of the color of his costume, but he's not that lit up. There's a lot of kind of white shadows being uh, reflected on him. And he's holding uh, a burning pumpkin bomb. And it's and just it's really striking with all the snow. 
Um, it's what's funny too is that when you when you read it, I always remember it as who killed Joey Z, but the actual issue, or maybe just in the trade, maybe it's different than the original, because uh, it does look like the um, the uh, font is a little weird. But it's, uh, who did Joey Z, which is a little weird. And the whole idea of the storyline is that this guy, Joey Z, who's just like a kind of a, a regular thug, is found outside of a police precinct and he's seemingly webbed up. But um, when they go to cut him down, they realize he's not breathing and he's dead and that Spider-Man killed him. Uh, now, this is what's interesting to me. And again, when I'm you know 13 years old, 14 years old, I don't really know who a lot of these creators are. Uh, John Romita Jr., I don't know him from a hole in the wall. I was starting to understand at this point the difference in artistic styles. This is probably one of my favorite eras of John Romita Jr. artwork. Uh, he's had a lot of different versions of himself. Uh, his artwork has matured and changed over the years. Um, what I really enjoyed about his work here, and I think a lot of it has to do with the colorist. Uh, the colors in this issue are by Gregory Wright. Um, it's a very dark issue. Uh, it's a, I mean, it's... And I think that's what probably kind of builds up the, the feeling of suspense that, you know, first of all, it starts off with a man being killed. Like, there's a man dead. Like, we don't see the murder take place, but we find his body. That's how the issue starts. And this is a Spider-Man comic, and I'm 14 years old. And then we, fl we flip to uh, Peter and Mary Jane's house, and it's... I'm not going to go this much in detail with each issue, but this particular issue I have a, a strong affinity for. Uh, you have Peter and MJ are sleeping, and then this phone's ringing in the middle of the night. Again, there's snow everywhere. So there's snow effects and throughout the issue, and MJ, you know, picks it up. I like her response. I've got it, hero. You know, like there's an ellipses to kind of, she's kind of annoyed because she's sleeping, and uh, Peter is there, and then she's answering the phone. And she's like, you know, it's the bugle. You're going to want to take this now. This is during an era when Osborne had just taken control of the Daily Bugle away from John, uh, from J. Jonah Jameson. We weren't really sure how that came about or. Um, you know what he had on Jameson, but there's a little bit of a, a question, a mystery there. And then we flip to Peter, JJ, J, and um, uh, Ben Urich going to the crime scene, and they show up, and they're being told what's going on. And Peter's just like, you know, I don't, I don't need this. I don't need one other thing going on because recently, just before this issue had come out in uh, Spectacular Spider-Man 250, which would have just been you know three months earlier, uh, you had. Spider-Man beat the crap out of uh, of Norman Osborn because he's been taunting him and the you know in public etc. Without saying as much, he's been making his life hell. So Peter just goes to his place and just beats the crap out of him. Unfortunately, uh, he's everything's on modern surveillance and uh, Osborn's able to kind of go on TV and say you know this guy's victimized me and I wasn't the Green Goblin. He's using it to kind of show that he's not who people think he is, and at the same time putting, uh, you know, suspicions and a lot of aspersions on, on Spider-Man. So the whole idea is that at this time, one thing he doesn't need is now a supposed murder rap uh, on top of having beaten up um, Osborn. And then Osborn kind of shows up with these heavies, and again, it's all about the coloring here, because there's a great shot where Osborn's talking, and he's obviously playing with Peter and kind of messing with him, and the shade... You have him wearing a green suit, which again, this type of thing only really shows, or a green jacket, this kind of thing only really shows up in comics in this, this way. And then the light that's shown on Peter's face is the green reflected as he's looking at the green guy, at uh, Norman Osborn. It's really awesome because as you get more and more of a close up, it looks more and more green. Maybe that wasn't intentional, but it sure seems it. And then later on, he's walking home. Again, this is in the middle of the night, and he sees this light on the top of this building, and he sees the Green Goblin, so he runs up, and then he just finds a, 
a pumpkin bomb and he's like pissed off he's like i'm through with him playing games and there's classic like you know comic book shots of this doesn't really make a lot of sense and you wouldn't spend time on this unless it was a comic there's a shot of peter he throws the um the pumpkin bomb up into the air and then he's just kind of there's a half shot of him just kind of going like arcing his back up and kind of going no no i've got you know stop doing this and i won't play on your terms and it's just kind of a weird shot but it works and then the police show up and they try to uh, take Spider-Man in. He, you know, is able to avoid their gunshots and take off. Uh, at the Daily Grind, he talks with MJ about it, and then he sees the Green Goblin in green, um, obviously. But there's like a green flash on outside on top of a snowy car. Peter runs outside and then is gone. And he's just furious. He's like, you know, where are you? Uh, MJ goes to meet up with him, and he's like, it's Norman. There's only one way to deal with a man like this. Again, this is pretty dark stuff. It's really well done, Howard Mackey. Uh, writing, which is not always the case for with Howard Mackey, and the artwork by uh, Ramita is just what kills this. And then Peter goes to meet Osborne at his offices at Osborne Industries. And he's like, you know, what do you want? And he's having this little bit of a tête-à-tête with uh, Osborne. And then he he leaves. And then in while uh, Osborne is in the elevator, Peter uh, attacks him as Spider-Man. He grabs him and throws him up onto the roof. And there's this great shot. Peter, you know, you, basically you're looking at the back of Norman Osborn and you just kind of see his hands, but really the shot is about Peter in front of him kind of ready to fight and it's just like, he's just really pissed off at everything that's been going on and he wants, you know, Norman Osborn to stop it and then Osborn is just like, you know, you're, you know, you're you're not a worthy appointment, uh, sorry, you're not a worthy opponent, you'd make it so easy to mess with you. He jumps off the roof, Peter uh, webs him because he won't let him die and Peter's like, and sorry, Osborne's like, this is why you're so predictable. This is why I always win. And then um, when Osborne's men finally show up, they're like, he's got Mr. Osborne. And obviously Norman puts on a show, like, no, 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 Spider-Man, what do you want from me? And so Spider's just, Spider-Man's just being messed with. And then he kind of sees another Green Goblin. He's like, what's going on? And then he uh, shows up to the, the, the detective who got the the case of him killing Joey Zidane is like, you know, you got to get your police lab to do an analysis. I didn't do this. This is not my webs. And then he shows up to talk to, uh, at the time, Arthur Stacy, George Stacy's brother or uncle, uh, Gwen Stacy's uncle. And he's like, I need your help. That's how the storyline kind of got kicked off. Um, again, I was reading this in 1998 and I was really thrilled by that. And then you move on to the actual spider hunt storyline where, uh, Norman Osborn, on the heels of what's happened to Joey Zed, basically puts his giant bounty on um, Peter Parker's head, sorry, Spider-Man's head, uh, dead or alive, and everyone in, you know, in, in who has a gun basically heads to New York to attack Spider-Man to get this bounty. And so it, it's not a high-concept storyline. You basically have Spider-Man is the most wanted man in New York, and he's just ping-ponging between people looking to kill him, while at the same time dealing with Osborn and trying to exonerate his own name. And then in the middle of the storyline, Norman Osborn's grandson, Norman Osborn, gets kidnapped by a Green Goblin, and then everything kind of gets twisted. You know, it's the idea of Peter knows that Norman is the original Green Goblin, but now he doesn't know who this new Green Goblin is, who we don't actually find out in this storyline. He also has to save, save Norman Osborn and avoid all these criminals out to get him. Uh, it gets messy, but uh, it's a, it is quite a good storyline. You also have very 90s characters like Override and Aura show up. Um, you know, and no one kind of comes out of this unscathed. Um, some of my favorite artwork in this storyline is by Joe Bennett. 
he does some brilliant artwork on Spectacular, sorry, Sensational Spider-Man 25, which is Spider-Man Chapter 1. At the time, he'd been doing a lot of um, amazing Spider-Man work, but uh, for this particular issue, he did Sensational, and, um, well, it lived up to the title, for sure. Um, it was, a you know, kind of a nice big issue to start. You have... Override and Aurora are really the kind of the, the main villains going up against Spider-Man in this issue, as well as like a bunch of, you know, lowlifes. And in the middle of this, Aurora gets pretty messed up with some uh, stray gunfire uh, that gets locked inside of her, you know, bulletproof aura, which bullets can't go through it. So they, she ends up being like ricocheted like crazy from this, these lasers or bullets. I forget exactly what they are. So she gets really messed up. And that's going to have a, a lot of... Um, impacts for override as a character uh leading into eventually the gathering of five uh which coincidentally was now out in trade paperback uh and then from there in the relaunch the next chapter uh, of uh that john byrne and howard mackie did uh he gets pretty messed up as a character named shadrach and then after that i don't believe he's ever heard from again but at the time, you know, he was an ongoing character. He'd been in some of the clone saga. And then suddenly he, his wife was basically not killed, but extremely injured. Uh, so that's the sensational issue. And then you have the Amazing Spider-Man issue where, again, you have Spider-Man, you know, avoiding all these all these criminals. I mean, that's that was kind of the, uh, the order of the day. And John Romita Jr. doing the artwork. So, again, he was doing two titles at the time. Uh... His artwork here is not as strong as it was in uh, in Peter Parker, but it was still good. Uh, the ongoing thread at the time that DeFalco had been doing it was that you had um, Fortunato was the kind of the leader of the crime families at the time, and you had Black Tarantula kind of making a play. Then you also had the Rose. So this storyline, as much as it was about Norman Osborn's grandson being abducted, it was also about the black tarantula coming to basically prove himself to Fortunato and he had to grab the, the mask of Spider-Man so he beats the crap out of him in this issue we get to see a lot more about what the black tarantula can do most of which he doesn't really do anymore uh, and we also have some more kind of glimpses as to what's really going on with Norman o Norm sorry Normie Osborn because the Green Goblin has him and he thinks that it's his dad and again at the time it wasn't off the table that maybe Harry Osborn could come back I mean Norman would come back why couldn't Harry come back as well um, so, you know, one thing I want to stress during these episodes is it's one thing to look at these issues now with hindsight, but to actually remember what we would have been like to read these at the time is actually more thrilling and more interesting to kind of get a perspective on what someone reading this in 1998 would have thought. I mean, we're coming out of the clone saga. It's still relatively fresh. Uh, Ben's not being mentioned. Well, he's being mentioned actually for a bit. It hasn't yet become absolutely verboten yet. Um, so it's and you know Norman Osborn's return is relatively recent. You had it happen in Peter Parker Spider-Man seventy-five uh, as Green Goblin, and then he was returned to the books on an ongoing basis as Norman Osborn in Spectacular Spider-Man two fifty. So nothing was off the table. At the end of uh, chapter two, you have the appearance of Shotgun, who at the time I'd never heard of him. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of him, but uh, I didn't realize he was a a pre-existing character from the Daredevil days, I believe originally created by John Romita uh, Jr. Having gone back and seeing the original appearances of that character, oh my god, he looks better here. Um, that being said, I wasn't a huge fan of his design originally. Uh, one thing I actually want to mention as, a, as an aside is at the time, uh, they had variants for each of these issues, which I'm sad I don't have them all. Uh, for issue, and I'm, when I say all of them, I just mean the, the main issues of the Spider-Hunt storyline. Uh, issue 25, 
there's two covers. I have the just the standard cover, but the, the special variant cover was basically a wanted poster. It says wanted dead or alive, and it has Spider-Man's face on it. And uh, and it actually scribbles over the Spider-Man part, it says preferably dead. And then for chapter two, you have the standard cover, which I actually don't own, uh, which has Black Tarantula, you know, ripping off Spider-Man's uh, mask, which is very on the nose for what happens in the issue. But then you have the alternate, which I do have, which is, again, wanted dead or alive. But now on the Spider-Man mask on the right side of the eye, on the right eye, or left if you're looking at it, uh, it's got a little bit of cracking on the eye. There's a little bit of a tear in the middle of the you know, forehead right right by where the uh, the eyebrows would be. You have a little bit of tuft of hair coming out the side at the back. And then you get the issue three, part three. Again, I originally had the, um, the original newsstand copy. Um... Or not newsstand, but just the not the variant, which has uh, Punisher and Shotgun holding guns both on Spidey and themselves. And then you have the alternate there has mo most of the costume uh, gone. Uh, you have most of Peter's face exposed, except for, uh, if you're looking at it, the right eye is still on there and a little bit over the nose on the other side of his face, but otherwise it's empty. Uh, so that was, that was the third chapter. Um, moving into the third chapter, you have, at the time, again, this is very of the time... Uh, at the time, we had a Punisher who was amnesiac and had been, uh, I forget exactly what happened, but he was involved in the Heroes for Hire book at the time, and it was he was kind of captured, and then Norman Osborn orchestrated his release. Now, at the time, Punisher didn't know who he was, but he was indebted to Osborn from, from uh, saving him, so he was like, okay, what do you need me to do? I'll do it. And intercut with this monologue by Norman Osborn, uh, you have all these people getting ready with their guns and their weapons, not just, you know, the Punisher, but also everyone in the city because, you know, everyone's looking for Spider-Man. It's open season. And Pun and um, Norman kind of says, you know, you're the Punisher. And Punisher's like, okay, you point me in the direction of the Spider-Man. If he knows anything about your missing grandson, I'll find out or die trying. Which is actually very similar to how the character was portrayed in the um, Spider-Man animated series during season, I want to say, four uh, Partners in Danger, probably episode 8. Uh, uh, I think it was Partners in Danger. Anyways, in that episode, it was the idea that um, Punisher is at his, the gravesite for his family and he sees Anna Watson and she's very upset about MJ's recent death at that time or supposed death. And uh, when she confronts, confides in him because he goes to comfort her because um, he can obviously understand someone losing a family member and he decides, you know, I'm going to do this one for free. I'm going to do this one as a personal one. Uh, so he kind of wants to investigate Peter Parker uh, as to he was the last one who saw MJ alive, and he gets in, kind of enraptured with um, uh, you know the Green Goblin because the Green Goblin returns in that issue, and it's Harry Osborn. You also have Peter kind of trying to evade the Punisher, uh, who wants to know more about him. It kind of reminded me of that era. Anyways, then we flash back to Spider-Man getting away from Shotgun. His his mask is basically shredded. He's got a little bit left on his face after uh, he was beaten up by um, by Black Tarantula. And what's interesting for continuity's sake is that you have John Romita Jr. doing chapters 2 and 3 of the storyline. Although I think the art in uh, the third volume is probably better. Might have been maybe he worked better with Howard Mackey than Tom DeFalco. Or maybe Tom DeFalco was just more precise than exactly what he wanted with the scripting. Who knows? But it, just something about his work I preferred with Howard Mackey at the time. Uh, this leads into one of my favorite looks, although it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, is that Spider-Man uh, basically webs up his face. So he's got this web up on his neck and on his face, but he's got enough space for him to breathe and I guess for his eye holes. But it looks like he wouldn't. 
Um, but I, I absolutely love it. Like, it's kind of ridiculous, but I, I don't know. Uh, and you have him trying to escape from a shotgun, and then everyone else in the city apparently is all ready for to shoot at Spider-Man. He ends up breaking into this apartment, and, uh, you know, he ends up, you know, kind of swinging through, and he thinks he's gotten away, and then his line gets shot by a Punisher, and he hits the water hard. Uh, you flash back to ongoing concerns at the time with Jill Stacy having been recently been injured. Um, again, at the time, you had Jill Stacy, Paul Stacy, Arthur Stacy. So a lot of Stacys were in the book, and Norman Osborn being a dick to them all. And then you have this uh, this this book former bookkeeper named Clarence Fielding. I always remember his name. Uh, he finds Spider Man, and he you know has a gun because he was thinking that maybe he could he could uh, you know he needs money. He's you know out of a job. Maybe he could find at the pot at the end of his rainbow. Uh, and then he convinced by Spider-Man basically not to attack him, not, and um, you know he kind of feels bad, and you know because he just wanted to win and kind of get out on top because he's been had bad luck, and then Spider-Man kind of convinces him not to, and then here come the mob. So the mob guys kind of shows up and this is you know we're gonna take him, and they're all laughing, and then suddenly they're they're like you know we don't need this kind of trouble. Sorry, there's going to be some background noise as a fan goes in the background. And I remember this as a kid, which, as a kid, this it read really badass. Reading it as an adult, it doesn't really hold up the same way, because you have this guy, he's holding a gun, he's all nervous, and suddenly these mob steps are like, we don't need this kind of trouble. And they're like, and they call him Buddy, and he's like, I, I'm not your buddy. And then you have the man from the shadow step from behind, Clarence. He's like, I think he was talking to me, and it's Punisher. And he's like, drop the shotguns now. And these mobsters are like, shotgun? I don't have. And then from behind the mobsters, you have shotgun. And he's like, I think he was talking to me. And so you have these two guys kind of confronting each other. They obviously, it's established they have a bit of a relationship, a prior relationship at some point. You have them on opposite sides of each other. You have the mobsters in the middle, plus Spider-Man and Clarence. It's such a mess. What doesn't make any sense about this is that then you have Punisher laying into these these thugs, as well as Shotgun. In the middle, you have Spider-Man and Clarence and the mobsters. It doesn't really make a lot of sense from, if you were to plot this out from, like, a storyboard perspective. Where is everyone standing that this even makes sense? Spider-Man webs up a web shield, which is a great look. He tries to take off, and uh, he's trying to protect Clarence. And the, and he's going easy on these thugs. He doesn't want to hurt them, so he's just, like, knocking some wood on them, but he's not, like, killing them. And then Jimmy Six shows up, who, you know, he was a character who was involved with Ben Riley. And then there's a great shot where Jimmy Six agrees to take uh, uh, Clarence with him, and this is going to settle scores. And then Spider-Man, I love this shot of him, like, reloading his web shooters, and he's got, like, his, his uh, gloves flipped up, and he's trying to web himself into the, basically this warehouse, which, again, it doesn't look like a warehouse at all. It looks like a small little room, and then suddenly it's a warehouse, then Punisher and and uh, Shotgun show up, and then Punisher remembers that Spider-Man is you know someone he's fought by bef- beside beside before as an ally. He's not a killer, and he realizes he's been used. And then you have both Punisher and Shotgun kind of confronting each other. Spider-Man's trying to get them to kind of realize that something's going on. His spider sense is going crazy. Then the Green Goblin basically bombs the area, and uh, that's where you leave off. <laughs> It's such a mess, but I loved it because it was it was just escalating responses. Uh, then you have Spectacular Spider-Man 255. So on the cover, you have Norman Osborn being grabbed by the Green Goblin as well as Norman Osborn. Uh, now, the, the cover I had was the variant, which was just the web Spider-Man face. 
Uh, so you had Spider-Man and all the webbing on his face like uh, John Romita Jr. had illustrated him in uh, the issue before. But uh, Spectacular Spider-Man at the time was written by DeMatteis and artwork by Luke Ross, who does a fantastic job here. Uh, actually, now that I look at it, I didn't realize this. Tom DeFalco plotted this issue, and the script was by DeMatteis. Um, pretty good stuff by Luke Ross. You have, you know, him... There's some, there's some ridiculous stuff in here. Like, Spider-Man at one point jumps out of a burning building with a weird web sack, and you see at least four different people in this web sack, and it looks like the most uncomfortable way to travel possible. Um, and then, so Spider-Man's free. Uh, he's webbed up Punisher. Uh, he kind of comes up against Green Goblin. He tries to put a tracer on the Green Goblin. But for no reason, Shotgun blows up the tracer. Which, again, it's a cool visual. It's kind of like a... Spider-Man's kind of like now what, which is very kind of like Charlie Brownish. But at the same time, why does Shotgun care about a tracer being put on the Green Goblin? It just doesn't seem to make any sense. Uh, you f and then you flip to Override, you know, trying to do his thing. And, uh, you know, because we haven't seen him since Chapter 1. His wife is in critical condition. Uh, Spider-Man goes home. He's been pr pretty roughed up. Um, but he's just kind of coming home for like a spare costume. You flip to the Daily Bugle, you have the Green Goblin show up and attack Norman Osborn, which confuses everyone as if it couldn't be, you know, couldn't in any way be possible that it was someone else in the costume. Although, Ben Yurick is the one who's like, you know, uh, Betty Brandt's like, but my god, that maniac almost killed him. And uh, Yurick is like, or so it seemed. And he's the one who says, anyone can wear a costume, Bets, and anyone can mouth empty threats, which is true. Uh... And then you have this very classic 90s setting up the scene page and this double-sized issue where you have Override getting ready and there's so much text, so much narration, but it, it works for the era. Jimmy Six is thinking about going after the Goblin. He's thinking about avenging his, his friend Ben Riley. Uh, Frank Castle wants to make sure that everything gets squared up in the world. Shotgun's not sure. He just wants $5 million in his bank account. Peter just wants to survive. So the Green Goblin shows up to this ransom drop and grabs Norman Osborn. Spider-Man's there, of course, and he decides to try and go uh, to go figure out what's going on. Shotgun's there, but then he gets atta almost attacked by Punisher, and Punisher's like, you're not gonna go after them. Override affects the Green Goblin, and so you have this... Green Goblin goes crashing into a building with Norman, and then Peter goes in there to try and stop them. And then there's some great acting by Norman Osborn as he begs Spider-Man to save his grandson. And then uh, Override shows up with the, the giant ransom money, and he's like, this is yours, right, Osborn? Um, and then you go back to the Green Goblin versus Spider-Man at a junkyard, and at one point the Green Goblin is shot by Jimmy Six, and Jimmy Six is like, this makes us even. Uh, all these thugs uh, are about to attack Jimmy Six, and then Punisher and Shotgun shows up. So there's so many characters involved, but it's kind of all dovetailing together, and it all culminates in Spider-Man versus the Goblin, and, uh, and then it looks like the Goblin's dead, but obviously he's not. And then Override gets the, the credit as being the one who actually saves Normie. And then we learn that this new version of the Green Goblin is somebody who... Norman Osborn says, you've made me very proud, my boy. Very proud. Now, when this happened, everyone thought, it has to be Harry. There's no way it could be anyone but Harry Osborn. It has to be Harry Osborn under this costume. It's not. It ends up being, like, not even a clone, which would have been better. It was like a... I forget the, how you pronounce the word. It's like a simulacry, a 
kind of like Peter Parker's parents, uh, which is really dumb, because there was so much build-up to who this person was, and that this person was the goblin at some point, and they were going to have him be the goblin again, and they ended up being, kind of being just a nobody, uh, just a weird creation, and it was really unfortunate, because there was so much build-up in all these storylines that eventually, and I, we wouldn't actually find out who it was for more than another year and a half, um, and it's sad that it ended up pretty much not mattering uh, at all. So that's most of what's in this uh, this trade of uh, Spider Hunt. I've probably talked more about it than I needed to. What's also in the Spider Hunt trade is issues that come right after it, which, to be honest, I feel like they shouldn't actually be in this trade. Uh, I feel like they should have been in the next trade. The next trade is called Identity Crisis. And the four issues that are right after Spider Hunt that are in this trade are basically uh, Identity Crisis prelude issues. That's the way they were billed as and promoted as, and yet they're not in the Identity Crisis trade, which is unfortunate. Uh, the whole idea is the, the bounty's still on Peter Parker's head, or sorry, Spider-Man's head. Yes, the initial concern of the Green Goblin and, and Normie Osborne has been resolved, but it's still very dangerous out there for Peter Parker to be Spider-Man. So he comes up with the idea that instead he should have alternate identities. Now, he doesn't come to this idea right away. You have these issues that lead up to it. So first you have these prelude issues in Sensational, which... I really enjoyed it's sensational 26 it's you got Sandman, you got Hydra man and you got uh, spider-man and he's trying to take out these 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 you know these villains uh well really just Hydra man because Sandman at this point was still a hero but then he realizes he's, he's cornered and all these cops are there and he doesn't know how to get out of it so he switches into his civvies and uh you know kind of dupes everyone makes a, a webbed up version of himself like he basically fills the spider-man costume with web you know, leans it out of a, out of this, you know, um, I think water tower that he was in, and then jumps out as Peter, and then just kind of takes off. Although at this point he hurts his ankle, which ends up mattering going forward. He then pays a visit to Howard, um, Hobie Brown, who at the point that point in the time was kind of like a recurring cast member because Peter had recently helped him as the Prowler, and that leads into what event, what um, personality he'll take on for issues twenty seven, twenty eight of Sensational. And you go to Amazing Spider-Man 433, which is by DeFalco and Tom Lyle. Sorry, uh, Michael Ringo did issue 26. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Tom Lyle, so I really like this issue. Um, when I go back and read Clone Saga issues, it's the Tom Lyle stuff I love. This is kind of a one-off issue where he goes up against uh, Mr. Hyde. He doesn't have his costume when Mr. Hyde shows up at this function. So he, he basically goes up onto this roof, grabs whatever you know um, laundry is hanging there, which in this case is a green hoodie. And, uh, which is a nice ode to Ben Riley, And then he has to go fight Mr. Hyde, but not show anyone his face. And uh, just with the hoodie wrapped around wrapped around him, and he takes out Mr. Hyde, which is kind of nice. That leads into kind of him thinking that, again, I need to have an identity. If I can't be Spider-Man, and I, and I need to do heroic things, and I'm going to have to still be responsible for all this, how am I going to do this? Then you have issue 90, which is by Howard Mackey, Romita Jr. And, uh, again, Spider-Man... He gets involved because there's suddenly this portal to the negative zone that just shows up in the in the middle of New York, and he is you know some people get stuck sucked up into it, so he's gonna go save their lives, but he gets stopped by a Shock, who had recently showed up in uh, the Peter Parker Spider-Man book, and he kind of gives him this um, this part of his dark force which doesn't make any sense at all, and will allow him to come back. So he jumps into the negative zone, which gives rise to a famous costume. Um, which has been in multiple video games and is kind of a fan favorite in some areas. It's the Negative Zone costume, so it's basically a white and black version of the typical Spider-Man costume where the um, 
the you know the, the 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 what's usually blue is white and what's usually red is is black and it's a very cool kind of design while there he goes up against these negative zone guys it's really a weird one-off and he hears about this legendary hero who has disappeared but he had this costume that kind of gave him strength against blastar uh his name was uh was dusk anyways spider-man puts on the costume of dusk and um talk about a subplot that's never resolved they ask him please find him find this dusk character so he decides to go home so he goes home with this dusk uh, costume and there's some weird stuff that happens with that costume but and then he shows back up in New York and tells Shock like don't worry it's me I am Spider-Man I'm just in this new costume I'm Dusk now no one seems to ask any questions oh Spider-Man's not there anymore but now this weird new guy in black is here um, which again isn't that different from the Spider-Man co- the black costume when you look at it at times I mean there's no nothing on it but it's just black and has kind of a cape look to it it bugs me it's never referenced again uh, what happens to that character. In fact, when the Dusk costume ends up getting kind of put away, um, nothing happens to it ever again. But it's like a super powerful like thing. Like If you think about it, this is an artifact from the Negative Zone. And it, Peter Parker just puts it in his house at some point. When the Slingers eventually have it, it's actually a different costume. It's not actually the Dusk costume because the Black Marvel gives them a whole different costumes than the original ones that Peter had. And I mean... Only two of the costumes that Peter used were actually had any inherent power to them. One of them was the Hornet costume because it was mechanical, and the other was the Dust costume, which was more mi- mystical, magical, negative zone. So, hey, who knows? And then you have Spectacular Spider-Man 256 by Demetrius and Ross again. It has the White Rabbit, one of the most ridiculous characters. She's very much the way she's written. She reminds me a lot of Harley Quinn, and this is 1998 when. The animated series is still around. I don't think she'd been introduced into comics yet. That wasn't until 99 in No Man's Land. So she's very much acts like that kind of character. Uh, and Spider-Man, again, doesn't have his costume, so he has to go into uh, into action. And he goes as the bombastic bag man, but this time he's shirtless with orange pants and a, like a paper bag in his head, which wouldn't actually stay on, but whatever. That's not getting in the way of a good story. And that is the issue. And at the end of that issue... He puts on the Prodigy costume that Mary Jane designs for him. And that is everything that's in the Spider-Hunt trade. When you get into the actual identity crisis, you have two issues of each book. I remember I actually have the, um, I think in every single one, I have this, the special variant where it had the Sensational Hornet as the, the, the exterior cover. And then behind it, it had the regular cover. So you actually had two covers on the one book. So you had Sensational Hornet, Amazing Ricochet, uh, Peter Parker, Dusk, and uh, Spectacular Prodigy. So the Dezago and Waringo cover the Hornet, and I really like the design for the Hornet. It's a pretty sleek costume. Um, you have him going up against, in the first issue, goes up against uh, the Looter. Uh, Waringo's artwork is, is just such a joy. The second issue, he goes up against uh, the Vulture, and uh, I, I like the idea that, at the time, everyone kind of loved the... Um, the Hornet because he kind of showed up. He prevented uh, the looter from making a theft at uh, the Daily Bugle, and Norman Osborn was a huge fan of him. And uh, at one point, he, like he says, like yeah, I don't think you have to worry about Spider-Man anymore. And Human Torch is then really worried about this, so he like kind of threatens the Hornet, which is a cool sequence by Waringo. And then moving from there, you have uh, the Hornet going up against uh, the Vulture, and then when Vulture is able to figure out based on. What he's been, what Hornet's been saying, and calling him Vulture, etc., that he's really Spider-Man. 
Uh, and then he kind of screams this in, in front of Norman Osborn and Billy Walters, who is a, a supporting cast character at the time. And Osborn figures this out, and he's really pissed about it. So then Peter basically puts the costume away because he won't be able to use it anymore. Then you go to Amazing Spider-Man, uh, or Amazing Ricochet, sorry, and you have him teaming up with Delilah, who is a character who really wants to take it to the Black Tarantula because the Black Tarantula had theoretically killed her and then brought her back to life. So again, this is continuing the ongoing storyline, but this shows Tom DeFalco's skillet. He's able to weave in what's going on in the in the books with his identity crisis stuff with what's going on in his own book in terms of the Black Tarantula storyline. So Peter and MJ are out and they find this, you know, this cool, um, you know, jacket and has like an R on it. And she's like, you know, what kind of name could it be? And I remember reading this and he was like, great, just great. Now we have to come up with a cool name, which begins with R. And MJ's like, how hard, how hard can that be? Peter says a lot harder than when I first started out. And I can't think of a single costume hero whose name begins with R. And I love MJ. She's like rocket racer, rogue, red wolf. It's like, okay, okay. And then there's always Robin, the Rocketeer, Robocop. So he, he totes on this costume. He's taking on a slightly um, different persona, a little bit more villainous and, and reckless. And he attracts the attention of Delilah at the time. The Rose is pissed off that Fortunato is letting Black Tarantula horn in on his business. Uh, but at the time, Delilah worked for uh, the Rose. And finally, she's like, okay, are you in or out? And then Spider-Man decides, I'm in. He's going to help her even if it maybe damns his soul a little. Then we move on to potentially my favorite. Actually, I should talk about part two. I'm going through the issues, so they don't actually have it in sequential. They have each of the first issues and then each of the second. Uh, the second issue of The Amazing, you have uh, some weird characters in, introduced. You have Roughhouse and Bloodscream. So they're not introduced, but uh, introduced to this book that Spider-Man goes up against. You have at one point the... Uh, reintroduction of Kane, who at that point was supposedly dead, but then he disappears. You have Spider-Man going up against Roughhouse and, and Bloodstream. Uh, he at one point... Now, this doesn't actually make a lot of sense, but he switches in the middle of the fight between costumes, between all of his different identities, which, if you've been reading the book, doesn't make any sense, because it, it, there's a, it takes a lot of time to switch into each costume. Yet here, he's just doing it within seconds. It's a little ridiculous. At the time, there's a lot of ongoing subplots, which is something I miss a lot of, because now often you have these arcs, but you don't have a lot of subplots, unless you're reading Dan Slott's Superior Spider-Man, because he plots the crap out of stuff. Uh, you have a, like, a lot of stuff going on with like Alison Mungrain being attacked, her theoretical package being uh, picked up by the Squires, which ends up not making any sense, because it ends up just being May Parker, as opposed to being Baby May, etc., uh, the Dusk issues, Peter Parker Dusk, are fantastic by John Romita Jr. Uh, I loved his team up with the Trapster. The Trapster is the one behind the Joey Z death, or Joey Z death, so uh, the Dusk decides he's going to, he's as Dusk, he's going to be partners with uh, Trapster to try and kind of convince him to tell him what's really been going on, um, and, and to get him to kind of confess and also bring him back to Norman Osborn, who framed him. And you also have the two of them going up against Shocker. I mean, it's really cool seeing a team up between a villain like the Trapster, who's never gotten respect before. And then suddenly in this issue, he's a badass. He's got a lot of respect. Um, he, this awesome team up with Peter and how they both interact. Um, I also just love how Dusk was utilized as a character. And at the end, you have the Trapster. A Trapster is kind of caught, and he decides to do the right thing, to screw, it, screw Osborn, which is to come forward admit that he did kill Joey Z and that Spider-Man had nothing to do with it to exonerate him. 
Uh, really, really strong storytelling. And then the, the last one, the Prodigy one by Demetrius, was a little messed up because you had some weird ideas going on. You had this uh, jigsaw character, your jack o' lantern, a lot of the kind of size ch- size changing um, um, illusions, etc. I think of the four, it probably stands out the least. Um, and I think my favorite is definitely uh, the uh, the Dusk stuff, and then I'd probably put uh, the Hornet, and then the uh, the Ricochet. Part of it's just that I absolutely love the artwork by Waringo, and I think over time I've come to appreciate his artwork on the uh, sensational issues all the more. So those are that's my kind of my flashback onto these things that you know meant a lot to me a lot to me growing up. Um, as I said, I had a, up till Identity Crisis and Spider Hunt, I had never really ventured outside of the main Amazing Spider Man book. I mean, obviously, I bought Spider Man eighty eight that started the whole thing, but after that, I mean, I just kind of went for the crossover, and I think that was about it. I think I may have continued in the Spectacular for a few issues because they had the Goblins at the Gate storyline, which brought uh, Hobgoblin back in. And again, around this time, about two years earlier in '96, I had been a big. I read the uh, the Hobgoblin Lives miniseries. Now, I really liked it because, I mean, obviously, when I started reading, um, sorry, a little bit of feedback there. Uh, when I started reading, Ned Leeds was supposedly the Hobgoblin, but he'd already been killed by the foreigner uh, and his men. Instead, you now had uh, Jason Philip Mackendale, the former Jack O' Lantern, as the Hobgoblin. Now. In 92 or 93, I remember reading a Marvel Tales issue, which was uh, reprinting, I believe, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 278 or 284, around there. And it was an issue, first appearance of the Sinister Syndicate, and in there you had the the Hobgoblin, of which we didn't know who he was yet, and you had the Jack Lantern trying to kind of take on the Hobgoblin. And I remember reading that and being really intrigued, and then also at the time reading modern comics which had the Demogoblin and Ned Leeds was already dead and then along comes this Hobgoblin Lives miniseries which has so much interesting background at the end of every issue it had footnotes for everything that was kind of referencing which was really cool because as someone who was trying to really understand the Spider-Man mythos in the universe it was a great way to kind of get caught up and find out what I'd been missing and understand all the stuff that I'd missed uh, which I always thought was really cool and I miss editorial boxes for that reason um, and so, like, I and I was really intrigued by that. They killed off Jason Philip Mackendale in that miniseries and restored Ned Leeds. Sorry, not Ned Leeds. Uh, they restored the Hobgoblin as being uh, Roderick Kingsley instead. And now he's fully revealed. So then, when Spectacular had the Goblins of the Gate storyline, it was going to be the first time that we ever had Norman and Roderick going face to face, which was really, really cool at the time. Uh, and really has only been done once. Um, in that storyline and every time after that like he's been in jail uh norman's had he's been in jail here and there but the hob sorry actually i take that back hobgoblin disappeared after the end of get goblins of the gate he ended up moving some south american place he was basically sitting on a beach and i think the next time we saw him was in big time when it looked like he died and i remember being so pissed about that and being so happy when it was revealed no no that was daniel kingsley the twin brother of Roderick, but not the actual real Roderick, which I was beyond thrilled with. So that's kind of what I did with um, Spectacular. And then when it comes to Peter Parker Spider-Man, I remember I read, 
a couple more issues uh, right near the end of the run. There's a fantastic issue where Nitro shows up. Uh, at the time, Kingpin had kind of returned and was making a play for the city and attacking all the major crime bosses. And he was also attacking Norman Osborn. So he sent Nitro to the Daily Bugle to basically blow up and attack uh, Norman Osborn. Uh, he shows up and attacks blows up this you know this elevator shaft which then this elevator car collapses and starts going through the you know plummeting in this elevator shaft and you have peter parker and norman osborne in it and they're both injured and they both don't want to reveal their identities to anyone else who's in the elevator with them and it was a really thrilling kind of issue uh i think it'd probably be better if they did it now because i feel like they could spend more time on elevating the tension but at the time one of my favorite issues for sure and i think there was also an issue after that where you had Jill Stacy and you had the, I think you watched you talking about how in another world maybe they would have been together and I remember loving that idea as a kid because I love Gwen even though I mean obviously I was born like at least 10 years after Gwen died um, but I've always loved Gwen Stacy as a character uh, so I remember being like Jill Stacy and Peter Parker sweet um, anyways so that's that's how I feel about Identity Crisis and Spider Hunt, these are two of my favorite kind of storylines from the 90s that I remember reading a lot when I was a kid and loving those issues. And just even going back and reading them now in trade is a, a very fun experience. Um, in fact, those who've listened to the Hero Cooks podcast will know that when I got uh, the Amazing Spider Man set and they had the Slingers as Trey, as, uh, sorry, as Chases, that's Prodigy, um, Hornet, Ricochet, and Dusk. I was super excited. Even though they, they called them Peter Parker, I mean, I love the Slingers, and I also love the storyline that introduced them. I remember when I went to the Amazing Spider-Man Sealed event, I actually brought my Identity Crisis trade. Actually, or maybe it was the time when I actually brought all four chases to play. Because I remember being like, not only do I love these chases, this is proof. I love these comics um, that originally had these characters. So, I to this day, I love using those chases. I mean, I, I love excuses to use a 300-point team where I just use the four of them. Um, I've used them so many times that I really have to stop doing that, but they're just so much fun. And, uh, no, to me, and Nate always makes fun of me for this though, but when I use Dusk, I'm always like, I always call her her because it was Cassie St. Cummins. It's not Peter Parker to me. It's the character that was in the, in the actual storyline for, um, for Slingers. Anyways, this is our first flashback episode, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, it was—I guess it was probably a little bit boring. It's just me gushing about, you know, the storyline I really enjoy. Um, I hope to be getting guests back on the show soon. I mean, it's been hard with the Christmas season and scheduling. Also, having a you know, a, a almost four-month-old child—it's uh, just really hard to schedule things where I'm having a podcast at my house because obviously the last few episodes I've been doing uh, at my offices uh, at the bank I work at. Um, so it, it, things have not quite been normal, but at some point I would love to start having episodes with Paul back on the show and uh, maybe Tibor Monte supposed to be doing a Star uh, Trek episode at some point, although scheduling for that one's proven to be uh, more difficult than expected. So anyway, uh, I want to thank you for getting this far on the episode and for giving it a listen. Uh, if you want to see more of these types of episodes, let me know. If this is a specific character you want me to focus on, maybe my favorite storyline for that character. I know I've done top five storyline episodes before, but instead I could just be talking about kind of like my favorites of particular characters. Uh, if it's a character I've already done on a top five episode, I'll just do a different storyline independent of those original top fives I've already selected. Um, so yeah, let me know what you're interested in, in seeing on the show, and I'll definitely try to incorporate it into a future episode. Also, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Uh, this episode will be going up probably late on the 21st. 
Uh, the next episode will be the reviews episode going up on either the 23rd or 24th. And then after that, it'll be another even number episode, episode 130. Not sure what it's going to be about again. Sorry, about yet, but um, make sure to join me then. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like like the show on Facebook. Uh, you can also rate and review the episode, or sorry, the, the uh, podcast on iTunes. And also post on our HD Realms thread on HD Realms. Thank you for joining me for this flashback episode to Spider-Man Identity Crisis and Spider-Hunt. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and we'll see you next time. Merry Christmas, everybody. Bye-bye.